who shakes our whole earth with holy thunder, who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love. I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all With truth and justice Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance The King of glory, the King above all kings This is amazing grace This is a fading love That you would take my gruff men in the choir, right? Well, in uh, SBC Life, we usually uh, take part in Baptist Men's Day. So on the calendar, uh, I think I'm right, David, this hits exactly on Baptist Men's Day. Sometimes we'll move it up or back, depending on our schedule. But uh, across the U.S. today, in, in many Southern Baptist churches, uh, we are uh, celebrating, acknowledging uh, uh, challenging, we may say as well, uh, Baptist men uh, to be what God has called them to be. And it is certainly a blessing to have this many men standing and singing in the choir. Amen? Amen. Yep. Praise the Lord. Uh, and in our times, certainly, we need 
men uh, to live uh, lives that are dedicated to the Lord Jesus without uh, any kind of uh, holding back or uh, making excuses, but to live for the Lord Jesus. And so uh, we, we've also, each year we've had Baptist Men's Day, uh, we've had a testimony. Sometimes we've had one, two, three. I've learned that if you have three, you may be here until two o'clock when the Chiefs game starts. So I've learned to scale that back. But today we've, we're going to be blessed to hear from Trent Blair. Uh, his wife is Sandy. Most of y'all know Sandy. Uh, Cheyenne is a daughter. Uh, were they able to be here, Trent? Okay, they're, they've been fighting sickness. So uh, Trent, that's him right there. Wave at everybody. And so Trent and Sandy have been a part of our church uh, as far back as April of 2019. And so uh, we... I'm excited about uh, him coming and sharing with you, and depending on how long, right, or short, his testimony is, uh, I've designed a, a little encouragement and challenge to not just Baptist men, but everyone out of Hebrews 11, about Abraham's faith, who was the father of all, who's, all those who believe. So we probably should take note of the one that the Bible speaks of as the father of all those who actually believe, meaning... Uh, what you see in his call, uh, what you see in Abraham's obedience to God's commands, most importantly, what you see in Abraham regarding the promise that sustained him. And so we need that. We need to hear about that and understand what true saving faith is. So glad you were here. It's a blessing to worship together. Uh, we're going to attempt, as Baptist men, to sing more songs and have a special. And so uh, if you're visiting... Uh, glad you're here today. We, we've got some special visitors up on the balcony. Look at them up there, right? Yep. And one of the solo, one of the groups that is going to sing is all those boys right in there that are scared to death, right? <laughs> they don't know this, but they have a, a special they're doing by themselves, right? <laughs> uh, no, no, just kidding. But we're glad the children were able to come in, and uh, we are blessed to be here today and if you're a visitor there's a visitor card a connection card in the pew that you can uh, write your information on leave it for us it would be a blessing to know who you are and so to God be the glory let's pray father we are promised in your word that your word will not return void that it will accomplish what your intention is for it to accomplish Lord, we don't think often about the instrumentality of the Word of God, but Lord, what an amazing thing we have in your Word when we're reminded that it is powerful to convert the soul. Lord, thank you for the Word of God. Its doctrines are holy, precepts are binding, historics are true, decisions are changeless. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the agency of your Holy Spirit that is in us, if we know you, dwells within us, we've learned from Ephesians. And Lord, thank you for the corporate body of believers that are gathered here today to worship you. I pray that today will be an overflow of a week that we've spent communing with you. Lord, through the ups and downs and the difficulties and the sanctification process, what a blessing it is to come in uh, to the walls of this church with your people and lift our voices to you, our King. God, help us today to block out uh, things of this world and focus upon you. Uh, may you be the center of our thoughts. May you be our heart's desire. And may you work. Lord, we ask you to work in people's hearts because we know only you can. And Lord, we ask that. Thank you for our men uh, that are represented. Thank you for uh, the trio that's going to sing together with our choir. And we pray for Brother Trent that you would bless him with the words to say. May it be an encouragement to all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Matthew 7, we learn that uh, the wise man builds his house upon the solid rock, the firm foundation. And this song challenges us to do that, is, is, is to build our life uh, upon the the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel. Let's sing this together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy 
give all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
We've asked the men's choir to assemble. They, they've uh, practiced a little bit with us last week and then again this morning. And we've uh, given them a song that reminds us all that whenever we uh, face uncertainty, we have a God who always, always provides. Amen? And so we know he's, he's been faithful in the past. We know he's faithful now. And we know whatever we face, he will be faithful to be with us. Yes, he did. Yes, he can. Sometimes I wonder, is he faithful? Does he see me in my trouble? Does he understand? Sometimes I question if he's able. Can he rescue? Can he save me again and again? When I look back, did he move every mountain? Did he part every sea? Yes, he did. So yes, he can. Oh, did he defeat the darkness? Did he deliver me? Yes, he did. So yes, he can. Oh, yes, he did. So yes, he can. Sometimes those voices try to tell me I'm forgotten and I'm falling too far from his hands. But I know what kind of God he is and I'm trusting in his promises. I'm believing and I'm singing, yes he can. Whoa! Did he move every mountain? Did he part every sea? Yes he did. So yes he can. Darkness, did he deliver me? Yes, he did. So, yes, he can. Whoa, yes, he did. So, yes, he can. I've seen too much, now I can't deny. He's come through every single time from the beginning until the end. He did, he will, he can. Now, did he move every mountain? Did he part every sea? Yes, he did. So, yes, he can. Oh, did he defeat the darkness? Did he deliver me? Yes, he did. So, yes, he can. Did he move every mountain? Did he part every sea? Yes, he did. So, yes, he can. Oh, did he defeat the darkness? Did he deliver me? Yes, he did. So, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he did. So, yes, he can. Yes, he did. Yes, he can. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, Scored by the ones he came 
bless you guys for the extra help today, the trio, the men's choir, had a special a couple of musicians that filled in for us that uh, thank you so much, and uh, we're going to ask Brother Trent to come, where, there you are Trent, come on up and share with us from the heart brother and encourage us. Kind of interesting, Pastor Philip. Everybody looks a lot more handsome from up here. You know, isn't that funny? But, uh, can you all hear me very well? Am I doing well? Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate having the opportunity to come here this morning. Uh, earlier this week, I was feeling a little bit under the weather. Really didn't imagine I would even be able to be here. But uh, thank God for good doctors and good medicine, and I'm able to be here this morning to talk to you. Um, this morning, I would like to share with you uh, a little bit about my experience with how God uses trials in our life to actually better us and to maybe even improve our reliance on him. I would like to start off with reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. So if you're interested, you can go to that passage and kind of use that as a guide for my discussion about how God has done that in my life. It's a real simple one. It's, it's written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Um, the book itself is a laundry list of Paul trying to explain to a young and growing church who have questions on different issues. But in this particular issue, I think applies um, quite a bit to my particular trial that I want to discuss that my family and I had to go through a couple of years ago. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. So three observations. Number one, the Apostle Paul says that we are to think about and to ponder our death. He does not prohibit this conversation that's going on in the church, but rather wants to encourage them and to make them have proper understanding of that. 
And part of that proper understanding is my second observation, is that grief by brethren is, is allowed, but it's to be different than those who have no hope, or otherwise those who are not as part of the brethren. And finally, the third observation is, is that we have hope. As believers, we have hope, even in death and facing death, we have hope. So, concerning the first observation, I grew up in the church, but I don't really remember hearing much preaching on death. I honestly don't. I remember hearing about pearly gates, streets of gold, and the rapture occasionally, but not really a lot about death itself and how a Christian should view their death, deal with their death, or the death of a loved one. However, outside the church, God graciously provided me several opportunities, I think, to kind of prepare me for what I was about to go through. As a young man, I had assisted my father, who was a school teacher at the time, uh, mowing cemeteries as a summer job. And so I would spend hours in those cemeteries, and when I had a break, I would walk around and I would look at the tombstones. And I was often fascinated by the varying degrees of the, the time between the dash, right? The birth date, the dash, and then the death. And boy, there was people who there lived months, but then there was other people who lived almost 100 years. And occasionally I would think to myself, I wonder how long I would live. But it was usually just a passing thought because I would often think, well, you know, I live in an age of advanced medical science. You know, I'd, I'll probably live to 100 years old. The reason a lot of those people died at a young age was because there just wasn't the medical care we have today. So I just went on with very little thought throughout my life as I was growing up, much more about death. I didn't think much more about it, in other words. However, later in life, after becoming a freshly minted second lieutenant in the United States Air Force, one of my first real jobs at my first duty station at Randolph Air Force Base in Texas was to be the officer in charge of the base honor guard. As, as in that role, I was responsible for a team of individuals who handled all the uh, military funeral honors that were to be um, provided for veterans, old and young, at the veterans cemeteries in Sam Houston, Texas, Fort Sam Houston, Texas, and Houston, and Houston, Texas itself. So we were intimately involved in helping loved ones make sure that, uh, say, the proper goodbye to their family members. And during those graveside services, you'd often see a lot of different reactions to how families handled the death of their loved one. It was just a very interesting observation. So through those two experiences of mowing cemeteries and of being responsible for helping people say goodbye to their loved ones, I learned that you just don't know how long you're going to live and that there are clearly some people that have more hope than others. And I truly believe, looking back on it now, that God used those two experiences to help prepare me for what happened on May 21st, 2017. It was about a week prior to May 21st, 2017, that my otherwise healthy 11-year-old son, Ambrose, started complaining about having some issues with fatigue. Generally throughout the week, additional, excuse me, gradually throughout the week, additional symptoms started to develop. Blurred vision and trouble with balance started to appear as well. It became obvious by that Sunday, the 21st, that a trip to the emergency room was needed. So we loaded up the car and drove up to Children's Hospital in Kansas City where a quick evaluation by the doctor resulted in a recommendation to do a quick CT scan, just as a precaution, to rule out all the scary stuff, she said. So the scan took a little bit longer than expected, which created some anxiety in me, but I just shrugged it off and assumed I was borrowing trouble. But eventually the doctor did come back and shared the news that a mass was discovered on his brain stem. She said a more detailed MRI of the brain and spinal cord would be required and they were setting it up for later that afternoon. She said they thought it was a DIPG tumor. I had no idea what that meant, but it didn't sound good. But the MRI would confirm later whether or not that was true. It was at that point in the conversation that my body started going numb. And everything around me seemed to be moving in slow motion. I kind of relate it to if you've ever been in a car wreck where you're starting to lose control of your vehicle and you know things are happening quickly, but the wreck itself is happening very slowly to you. That's how I, how I often refer back to it. However, there was one thing that was very clear that stood out from that conversation with the nurse in the emergency room that day was I could literally see the fear in her eyes as she was telling me this news. Later that day, as we waited for Ambrose's MRI to be completed, I prayed as I walked the hallways, God, 
if this be your will to take Ambrose, please don't let it destroy what's left of my family. So later that evening, about midnight, we got the final diagnosis from the doctors. It was as feared. The MRI had confirmed that Ambrose had a DIPG tumor growing on his brain stem. DIPG is a rare and aggressive cancer that primarily affects children between the ages of 7 and 14 years of age. But treatment options really haven't changed since the 1960s. The news from the doctor was due to the location of the tumor, they're unable to remove it. We can do some radiation to help relieve the symptoms, but this cancer is rare and it's aggressive. At best, he probably has 12 months to live. Essentially, this is a terminal, this is a terminal, this is determined terminal upon diagnosis. We were now entering a challenging time, a time that I felt neither willing nor capable to endure. My mind kept fast forwarding to the funeral and my initial thoughts were, there's no way I can sit in this service, in that service with Ambrose's dead body laying in front of me and able to breathe, much less sit through it. After all, we were told early on in our marriage that statistically we couldn't even have children. And then five years later, five years later you gave us children. You decided to give us Ambrose, and now you're, asking him, now you're asking me to give him back to you? In the moment, my emotions could not reconcile these thoughts. As the hours turned to days and the days to weeks, do you know what I learned? God doesn't always give you more than you need, but he has given us all as believers all that we need. Through prayer, his word, and the church, we have all been fully equipped to weather any trial. And I am so grateful to him that those are exactly the areas where he turned my attention to. Immediately after the diagnosis, both Sandy and I knew we wanted to accomplish two things in the short term. We wanted to do our best to disciple Ambrose all the way to the end. And we did not want the pain of this to be wasted. We wanted God to be glorified through it all. And in the long term, we felt we had a choice to make as well. We could make this all about us, which would build up bitterness, which would result probably in anger, and ultimately probably destroy our future and our family. Or we could humbly submit to God's plan, even this particular trial of cancer, and use it to glorify him, which is what we wanted to try to do. These were both choices we had to make, and we had to make them quickly. And it started immediately when we got home from the hospital. After getting Ambrose home, we immediately settled into a routine of making the 100-mile round trip five days a week for six weeks so Ambrose could receive his radiation treatments. At that time of the diagnosis, we happened to be living with Sandy's mom and dad in Warrensburg because only four months prior, God had providentially moved us back from Kentucky, a move that I now see as God's loving kindness towards my family, giving us a much-needed support network for the difficult days that lie ahead. So Ambrose finished his radiation treatments in early July. He was determined to live life despite the threat of the cancer hanging over him. Every morning he would wake up and he would say to Sandy, Jesus didn't want me last night, so let's go live life today. Although there were severe limits to what Ambrose could physically do, I still wanted to share at least, I still wanted to share three highlights from that time after the diagnosis of activities that he was able to do and that were a blessing to not only our family, but I think to those around him. First of all, it was during this time that the local body of believers gathered and they organized and they had a large benefit to help cover the cost of Ambrose's expenses. The, real, the show of support from the local church was overwhelming, it was heartfelt, and truly a precious ointment for our aching soul. Another highlight, which is kind of funny looking back on it now, but another highlight was that Ambrose since he wasn't able to do much, but he was able to attend a water, start attending a water aerobics class with his mother and his grandmother at the local community center. The exercise was good for him. It was also a fantastic daily social activity. He quickly became admired by both the staff and the members of the class. They absolutely fell in love with his positive attitude toward his circumstances and his perseverance in not just giving up on life. Many positive relationships were formed in that class, and more importantly, the gospel was heard by several of the class members who later attended his funeral. I think in this way, Ambrose is a great example to us all, that as Christians, we have a race to run, 
And we're not supposed to stop until we pass the finish line, that being death. As Christians, we do not stop until we're dead. And then the final highlight I just want to share was Make-A-Wish was able to arrange for Ambrose to meet with Tim Hawkins, a Christian comedian. Ambrose loved to laugh, always did. And Tim's sense of humor was right in line with Ambrose's personality. He was just plain silly at times. Ambrose had what I thought was one of the best times that night and was even able to show off some of his sense of humor on the podcast that Tim recorded after his show. If you're interested, I think you can still go to Tim's podcast and search for podcast number 68 and get a little taste of Ambrose's sense of humor. It was also during this time at the end of August that we did receive some good news, a little bit of good news. The tumor had shrunk from the radiation treatments, and so we rejoiced, and we just tried to live every moment to the fullest. So real quickly, um, also at this time, as far as my emotions, where I was at, I tried to stay busy to make sure Ambrose had the support he needed. However, despite staying busy and somewhat distracted, I felt the weight of the cancer hanging over my head, and I knew that the tumor could start growing at any time. I also knew that the challenges we had before us had been great, but would be nothing compared to the challenges that were still lying ahead. There are many what-if questions weighing heavily over on my mind. When was, the, when was the tumor going to start to grow again? How would it affect him? Would he go blind? Would he have seizures? Would we have to admit him to the hospital? Would he get to stay home or not? Was he, would he be in pain? Would he be scared? The pressure I was feeling was unbearable. I tried to internalize it, but that would only work for so long. The shower quickly became the place of solitude where I could let the tears flow and my daily petition to God would be, God, I know this cancer is essentially a 100% mortality rate, but if it would be your will, please save him. I cried that every day for almost five months, but eventually that prayer had to change because I got my answer. The day the prayer changed was October 31st, 2017, when the doctor told us the tumor had started to grow again. I had suspected over the previous week that something was going on. His fatigue was worse. The right side of his face had started to droop a little bit more. So it wasn't as if it was a total surprise. However, the doctor's words that it's time to go home and prepare was the equivalent of ripping my heart from my chest. The doctor couldn't tell us how long he had, but typically weeks was more accurate than months. It was time to go home and have a gut-riching conversation with my 11-year-old son that nothing else we can do, that there's nothing else we can do, and that you will die from this disease. That conversation is still too tender for me to go into a lot of detail about today. However, I, I truly believe that God gave him the peace required at the moment to accept it. He told us he wished he would have lived long enough to get his driver's license and get married. But after that, his concerns immediately shifted toward giving us instructions for taking care of his sister, grandparents, and cousins. He also gave us specific instructions on what to do with his two most prized possessions, his bicycle and his extensive collection of Legos. Ambrose took his last breath and died in faith. Excuse me. Ambrose took his last breath and died in faith on November 14th, 2017 at 10.01 p.m. at home, surrounded by his family. The finality of that last breath was a crushing blow. Just like that, it was over. Years of blood, sweat, and tears that went into raising him was now complete. He was no longer in our presence, but according to scripture, as a believer, the moment we take our last breath, we are in the presence of the Lord. Although that should have brought me immense comfort at the time, it took, it took time for me going through the grief to come to peace with it. As instructed by the Apostle Paul in the, in, in the verse we just read, I was not to grieve as others do who have no hope. But how can I do that? We had over 500 people in attendance at the funeral, and every one of them heard the gospel preached. And I was able to attend the funeral and was even able to say a few words, overcoming what I thought I never could have done by God's grace. But once that was over, the grief was intense and at times overwhelming. Charles Spurgeon has a famous quote concerning grief saying that I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. 
I immediately recognized that wave as grief and that to make it through this season of life, we were going to need the tools that I mentioned previously, prayer, his word, and his church. Concerning the church, I made sure to regularly attend and hear the preaching of his word. Several church members kept in touch and made sure that we knew that they were always available if we needed anything, even to talk. I made sure not to isolate myself and be engaged within the body of believers that God had provided for us at that time. Finally, I also took care, I took advantage of solid biblical Christian counseling. It helped give me an outlet to express my frustration, which usually I was told was normal for what I was feeling. But it was done in a setting which, allowed, which accepted my Christian belief and also encouraged me to stay grounded in it. I read scripture more fervently than I ever had before, but more than ever before, I also purposed to study it to understand it. Read your scriptures. It's God revealing himself to us about who he is and what he has done for us. By reading scriptures, I was reminded of the truth from both Ambrose's perspective and my perspective concerning this life. From Ambrose's perspective, I, was, I learned, I was, excuse me, from Ambrose's perspective, I was reminded in Genesis 1, God created all things, including us. Ambrose always belonged to him. He was only ever going to be mine to take care of temporarily. I also was reminded in the book of Job, who was recognized as a righteous man who faced far more unimaginable trials than I had, and he was able to accept these. He didn't curse God and die like his wife suggested. Also in Psalm 139, I was reminded that Ambrose was fearfully and wonderfully made. In Psalm 31, I was reminded that our time on this planet is in God's hands. Ambrose didn't die early. He died right on time. In Psalm 116, I was reminded Precious is the sight of the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God wasn't caught off guard about Ambrose's diagnosis, and he wasn't disappointed in his death. In 2 Corinthians, I'm reminded that absent the body is to be present with the Lord. I know where Ambrose is. I don't have a full understanding of all the details around that, but I do know this. He is safe, and he is happy. From my perspective, in 2 Samuel alone, I was reminded that through King David, who was a man after God's own heart, he lost a son. See, I'm not the only one, nor will I be the last one. David also gave me a pattern of mourning. Don't let it become too intense or too excessive in time. Because once the time of mourning is over, it's time to get back to work and run your race. And finally, in that, second, finally in that same passage, I was reminded when the time for mourning was done, David still had hope. He got up. So I too have hope. 2 Corinthians 15, 12 through 26 was preached at Ambrose's funeral. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 12, 26 was preached at Ambrose's funeral. It's about the resurrection of the dead before Christ's return. But for time's sake, I would just like to read, quickly read verses 22 through 26 for you. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, to those in Christ, will be made alive, and there will be no more death. This is a great hope. I don't understand why my son had to be the one who got cancer at a young age, but I do know this, church. He has given us all we need, prayer, his word, and the fellowship of the believers to endure when times get hard. So my recommendation to you as believers is, think about your death, but don't fear it. For those who are in Christ have a great hope. And that great hope is in Christ alone. Thank you for letting me share. Amen. So many parts of that testimony intricately woven together in one testimony. I don't know if I've ever heard one that captures it all so well as that one. And uh, to God be the glory for conditioning your heart uh, 
Trent, to do that. Uh, listen to God's word. This, this is my encouragement. This has been on my heart and mind. And if it's so well with what uh, Trent has brought to us. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place, and note this, that he was to receive as an inheritance, listen to this, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, and notice this, as in a foreign land. He goes to a land that the Lord told him to go to, It was the promised land, check this out, but he lived there as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So, when I mentioned early that, earlier that Abraham is an example of all those who have saving faith, he's considered the father, we, we see clearly that Abraham responded to God's call because that's what saving faith does. It responds to the call of God, but it also obeys those commands. The, the Greek text is like when he got the call, it was sudden. And it was stunning obedience. It was so radical that it, actually the Greek is, as the call was still ringing in his ear, he obeyed God. Now think about the magnitude of this. Where this is not just him getting up with just a little bit of effort and moving to another place. I mean, this this was going to be radical and life transforming. And so... I want you to think about the call of God, and God may be calling someone to faith in Christ today, right? But also think about the command to obey. If we never obey, we've never been saved. It's just the way it is. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. When God saves a sinner, that life is forever radically changed. And thus, in Abraham, it issued forth into Obeying those commands that were incredible commands. But he did so suddenly and stunningly at the call of God. And he did that. But the thing I want to remind you of is what really he did based upon the call and the commands. Is that he held something in his hand. And what he held in his hand in between the times of of being called and living on the earth in a foreign land... And looking forward that, toward that city whose foundation, literally the Greek is foundation. In other words, folks, this city of earth that you live in is not the foundation. It's not, right? But what did he do? All of that was done being sustained in his life by a promise. He held the title deed in his hand. And according to Hebrews chapter, one, uh, Hebrews chapter 11... We, we see clearly the title deed. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Going back to what Trent said. It's the conviction of things not seen. And so do you see this in Hebrews 11? He went out not knowing where he was going. Now think about this. That, that's the title deed in his hand. That's saving faith given to birth in him by Christ. And he held this title deed in his hand. And he went forth, he uh, responded to the call, obeyed the commands, and it was this title deed in his hand that sustained him with the promise of God. I'm telling you folks, it's only the promises of God that sustain us through things like Trent and Sandy went through. It's the promise of God. And in this particular text of scripture, we see clearly that it was... Grace by faith that started the journey. It was grace by faith that helped them in the middle, uh, in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. It was grace by faith. So faith responds to God's call, obeys his commands. 
is sustained and it sustains him. And, or it sustained Abraham and it is exactly what sustains us. Notice, foundation, sure. We think that this world is all we have. And we often think just like that. Even we're told that this is your best life now. No, folks. It's not your best life now. You have no idea. You've only been given partial what God is going to give you. And the lesson that I want you to think about as men is this. This is not all there is. And all of us need to get our focus upon that foundation in the future. That eternal part that's given to us as men. Look, I can get jacked up like any of you when I listen to talk radio and I listen to the whatever administration we have up there in the White House. I don't know what that administration is. But when I listen to it, I can get all fired up. But listen, that's the city of the earth. That's not the eternal city. That's not what's going to be given to us. Let me encourage you to think about what you've been given so far. How are you doing on fighting against sin? Anybody winning that battle every day? Men, are you? I mean, I mean, just think about that statement that this is your best life now. Or this is pretty much all that. No, folks, it's not. What God has for us in the future is eternal. It's a foundation. It's, it's a firm city. So I encourage you. The journey will be difficult. When Jesus said to us, take up your cross and follow me, did it ever enter your, enter into your mind what that was going to be? No. Take up your cross and follow me. Does it ever enter? I don't think it entered my mind what that was going to mean when I first said, yes, I'm going to follow. See, true salvation is not just trusting Jesus as your Lord, but it's following. If you never follow, you never trust it. If you ne we forget that in discipleship. Take up your cross and follow, right? Does, did it ever enter your mind what that follow was? Uh, Trent, did it ever enter your mind what that was going to be like? To take up your cross and follow? Look, we don't think about that. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, that journey is going to be full of difficulties. You know this. It's going to be full of trials. There's going to be hardships. There will even be things that call into question the things that are not yet seen. But you've got the title deed in your hand. Right? You've got it in your hand already. There's this tension of the already and the not yet. But we must resolve to live as aliens and strangers. Do you see it there? What was the commonality between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? None of them ever owned any property. Are you getting this? The promise was to Abraham from Genesis 12, this is going to be yours. Folks, you haven't read your Bible correctly if you think that's only about a piece of land on earth. There was something huge, way bigger. Why? Because Abraham, look, the, the fellow had to buy a piece of property to bury his wife. In Genesis 23, he was in the land of promise, but he had to buy a piece of property to even bury Sarah. And so the commonality between them is they all never got the right to drive their tent pegs too deep in the soil of the earth because they looked for a foundation whose city was sure. They were looking for the eternal perspective. Folks, our citizenship is in heaven. And being a follower of Christ is actually a call to leave the old stuff behind and obey him in the present by faith. All the while living as a stranger in this world and expecting our future inheritance which is to come in the future. This present life... As marvelous as it is, may be and is blessed in many ways. We've got many enjoyable things. I mean, we're thinking about, I, I know this is true with you. This is going to make an impression. I know it's true. Some of you have this incredible ecstatic joy about 2 o'clock today. <laughs> Let's be honest. But folks, do you understand that's just a passing pleasure? It's here for a moment and it's gone. I mean... My Atlanta Braves won the World Series. I rarely even think about that now. The Bulldogs. Some of you said, Preacher, I'm surprised you didn't get up and say anything about Georgia. I'll just be honest with you. I didn't care. 
I mean, I'm glad I was hooping and hollering when they won. But folks, that stuff is over. So it's here for a moment. And it's the uncertainty of life. And it's gone. But look, folks, we are enduring. We are sustained by a promise. The title deed is in our hands. And there is an eternal home for the people of God. And God will give you more than you could ever imagine that day. Uh, 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 Sandy Midget texted me last night. Talking about Miss Farrell and her cancer is, I think, is taking control of her body. And we talked about that back and forth by way of text. But, but she said she's ready. And I thought, yes. And I sent her a text back and said, to behold the face of Jesus. Can y'all imagine what that's just going to be like? The Bible says we shall see him as he is and we shall be like him. Think about this. And it ought to be an encouragement to every single one of us. So my encouragement is remember you're a pilgrim. You are a stranger, a sojourner in this world. It's not your home. We live by faith. And we also know that it's because Jesus has a city for us whose foundation is sure. Look, he's the builder. And he's the maker of this city. And we long for it. Amen. Perhaps uh, some of you children thought about what Trent was saying and you thought well what about my life and how it's going to be lived out well why does the scripture remind us of that well because life is uncertain and life is brief and I don't use scare tactics I don't believe in them I believe that the word of God convicts the heart but perhaps in a way you've never thought of it before because of the word of God uh, we don't live as others who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even will God bring with him all those who sleep in him for the Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout when you get to the end of that narrative what does it say Trent comfort one another with these words so really that's written to Christians and we have to ask the question are you a Christian not do you believe in the concept of God not uh, do you believe in the ABC's of the faith not, no, it's have you internalized that? Is he your savior? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus only to save you? Something we have to ask all of ourselves. And then how are you living today? Are you living in the between, holding the title deed, knowing full well that this life is not all there is? But even through all the trials and tests and difficulties, it is the Lord God who sustains us by his promises. Are you living that way, you guys? Let's live for the things that are eternal and not for those passing, fleeting things that when it's all said and done are not going to matter. Do we enjoy them? Yeah. Is God gracious to give them to us? Yes. But folks, that's not all there is, nor is it the most important thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. Lord God, thank you for Trent's testimony. Lord, what a, a buttress of encouraging faith and hope in Jesus that we heard from him. Lord, thank you for preparing his heart as a father whew, to stand and, and, and even talk about it within these years. Uh, Lord, you've tempered him and you've molded he and Sandy and, and Cheyenne. Lord, you have taken them as the potter takes the clay and you've molded them through the fire, the difficulty. All, as First Peter says, that the genuineness of our faith, being much more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire, may turn out to the praise and glory of Jesus' name. God help us. If there's someone lost today, may they call out to you, the only one who can save. And for Christians, Lord, let this testimony and a reminder of the life of Abraham, who was sustained by the promises of God, let that be a bulwark for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother David is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. Stand together. Hey, I, I think the invitation could be multifaceted. Uh, here's one thing I've learned at First Ozark. It seems that men believe if you walk to, down to the altar to pray that everybody else is going to think, oh, what a miserable sinner. You're all sinners. <laughs> Every one of us. Let me let you in on a little secret. You're all sinners. So let's uh, be obedient to the Lord in this area. Amen. Let's sing.
Amazing Grace, let's sing it together. reminded us that what we see now does not compare uh, to the glory which is to come for those who loved him love him so praise God for that glad you were here today um, just a wonderful day with our men leading and testimony we just give God all the glory and uh, we pray most importantly that he was pleased with his people amen so look forward to a, a wonderful week uh, we'll keep get the word out to you it looks like uh, we have weather coming that I'm not used to in the south when I live down there. You know, one drop of snow and they shut down the schools down there, right? But uh, So we'll, we'll get that word out to you for Wednesday night. By all means, when it comes to our senior adults, do not risk ice, all right, on Wednesday. We, we would ask you not to do that because we know how bad our sidewalks are. So uh, to God be the glory. Uh, God bless each one of you. Glad you were here and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. All right, Brother David. Hey, let's echo what the men's choir shared with us. Uh, yes, he did. Yes, he can. Let's sing it together. And did he move?
every mountain? Did he part every sea? Yes, he did. So yes, he did. Did he defeat the darkness? Did he deliver me? Yes, he did. So yes, he can. Oh, yes, he did. So yes, he can.